Welcome to the Masculinity Podcast, conversations about masculinity, men, and our relationships with them. My name's Mel, and I invite you to pop the kettle on, make a mug of your hot beverage of choice, and join us for a relaxed and open conversation. So for this episode of the Masculinity Podcast, I'm really thrilled to have my friend David Yates joining me. I met David years ago uh, in Vancouver. David is one of these incredible humans who's very multifaceted and is hard to summarize in a single sentence. David is an incredible musician and is a teacher of movement. And also uh, David has done a lot of work in outreach, working with young men. And I've For the last few years, there's been little posts that David has done on Facebook of talking about his own experience as a man and reflecting on what is going on in in his community uh, in terms of masculinity. And I'm really excited to have David on the show today. Thank you for joining, David. Thanks for having me. So I think it was a few months back, you posted something on your Facebook about men and masculinity and I think it must have been a public post because it, it started to get shared a lot. And this might have even been like a year ago, like right after Me Too happened. But I've definitely noticed that you've been thinking about these topics uh, for a while. What do you think has has tuned you into this conversation? Wow, that's an interesting way to enter into the question. Um, I would almost have to track it back throughout the course of most of my life. I have always felt a lot more comfortable in the presence of women than men. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, somewhere, I don't know, somewhere in my childhood, I felt less connected to the activities of other guys than I did to the way women connected and communicated. So I think a lifetime of that really tuned me into what women experience and really made me quite a bit more sensitive to how men act in the world. Um, I would say I had quite the chip on my shoulder there for many years when it came to men and how they relate to each other and to women. Mm-hmm. So I'd say it's a life, a lifetime of being tuned to how things are. Did you find that that sense of disconnection coming up like in your family or was it more like at school or friendships? Yeah, I've tried to trace it. Um, You know, if I reflect on my relationship with my dad, he's someone who was always supportive, but maybe didn't relate to me in a very emotional way. And I've always been pretty emotionally tuned in and quite sensitive. When it came to school, I maybe only ever had one friend at a time, you know, um, until I started dating. And then I switched from having one male friend at a time to having one girlfriend at a time. (laughs) (laughs) and definitely didn't understand how to navigate group situations with guys you know so whether that was my soccer team or a birthday party or any kind of get together I didn't know how to navigate the social waters all the you know sort of joking and poking and joshing around that would take place so I felt like a bit of an outsider throughout school I've heard this from some other male friends of mine that they didn't know how to engage with other men. It, like there was some kind of unspoken 
code of conduct that they had just never tuned into. Definitely. Yeah. It's like I didn't learn the language and didn't have the patience to learn the language either. I saw I saw small talk is more or less pointless. Now I understand why we need it. But at that time, I, I didn't understand what the point was of hanging out and poking fun at each other. It never really felt good to me or appealed to me on any level. But I also think I was a pretty serious kid. So um, I was much more interested in bigger questions and bigger subjects, bigger skills, writing and art and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Did you notice a difference in the kind of emotional connections that you would build with that single male friend versus with your single girlfriend? Hmm. Well, there was a really distinct switch in 11th grade when I had my first girlfriend. So, I mean, she and I obviously were, you know, we formed an intimacy that I hadn't formed with any other guy, but there was definitely a sense of closeness with my one best male friend while that lasted, you know, just a sense of comfort that didn't require any other form of expression if that makes sense mm -hmm. you know so with a girlfriend we could have cuddles or kisses or eventually sex and we could express our emotions to each other in a wide range of ways but whereas maybe that didn't exist with the male friend there was enough of a baseline comfort level that it didn't matter what was there or what wasn't there we could just hang out being each other's presence and be totally okay with that mm. uh, and I feel like somewhere along the line from, I don't know, high school and into university, I lost that ability. Or maybe other men were losing it at the same time. We lost the ability just to sit in presence with each other and be completely at ease. Mm. But with women, that was, that was possible. And how do you connect with men these days? It's still a challenge. You know, I, <laughs> I've actually been expressing some frustration to um, the people around me that, you know, all, all of us men really want to connect and we say let's get together and we say let's set a time and we even set a time and then we just don't show up for each other. So I'm not actually sure what's going on. This is part of the thing I'm really curious about. Why is it so difficult for us to even show up for each other? Um, unless there is some really clear activity involved. And then, then there's more likelihood that guys will show up and, it, and you know what I know this is feeding into stereotypes about guys guys need activities to get together <laughs> but I think there's uh I think something is missing in that there's there needs to be the recognition that for whatever reason we don't feel safe with each other unless there's an activity to distract our attention to some degree it almost sounds like there's a level of discomfort because it's a foreign idea like there hasn't been a context for experiencing male connection without an activity so the activity always becomes required like I'm thinking about the example you gave of the you know boys sports teams and like there's always mm -hmm. a reason for men to hang out together and so to not yeah. have a an activity yeah. purpose is foreign yeah well it was possible when I was younger just to get together. That was it. You know, hey, want to hang out? That's what I remember saying. You know, want to hang out tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Want to hang out after school today? And then we figured out as we'd go. So, you know, it makes me wonder what happened to kind of break that chain of experience. And now fast forward for me 
24 years where it's not nearly as easy to simply reach out and say, hey, do you want to hang out? It's like I haven't been practicing that process um, in my adult life. So now it's feeling rather difficult to get back there. You do a lot of, you teach dance and, and you're one of the best dance teachers I've ever come across because you have a way of <laughs> really helping everybody feel empowered. I think the first time I came to one of your dance classes, I was terrified because I've always thought of myself as a bad dancer and you definitely have helped me in that journey immensely to, to see my strengths as someone who can move their body to rhythm. Um mm-hmm. And I, I've always admired how you encourage connection on the dance floor that um, even when teaching partner dancing, like you're not just keeping it as you, you would never like divide strictly along gender lines, you would you would allow it so that the men could experience following. And, and sometimes you'd have couples that were both men dancing with each other and that fluidity. Um, and, and the idea that maybe it's not just two people dancing together, maybe it's three people dancing together or five people dancing together and building that connection, uh, in the classroom that way. Um, do you find that that has informed the way that you then go on to connect with people off the dance floor? Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I've always seen the work I've done to teach people to dance as something that relates to all of life. But I would say I'm still most comfortable when movement is involved. And maybe you're actually getting at a really important underlying question, which is when movement and dance isn't happening, you know, what's left? You know, are we sitting around at home or at a coffee shop talking and basically acting as talking heads on top of bodies that have lost the ability to be at ease, you know, that have gone a bit rigid in how they express themselves. And I would say from my years of dance and maybe being someone empathic, I'm hypersensitive to not just my body state, but the other person's. So off the dance floor, it's almost like too much has shut down for me to be able to engage fully. I definitely am challenged by that. What you're saying there really resonates for me. Yeah, maybe what you're asking is another way in is to maybe approach it as as a dance, how would I how would I change my approach off the dance floor if I still continue to see it as a dance? I'm not sure what that would look like. That'd be interesting. I was at an event recently uh, that was focused on talking about masculinity and and men's issues, and it really struck me that everything that was presented was very much an intellectual exercise. There was a lot of talking, there was a lot of discussion, there was a lot of unpacking and verbal processing, but there was absolutely nothing for the body. There was no like, let's take a bunch of men into a, into a room or run out into the forest and roar, or let's do some yoga, or uh, let's shake our bodies around even. There was, there was nothing, absolutely nothing for the body. And that really stood out to me as like, wow, this, is, this seems to me to be missing in a big way. Yeah, definitely. I've been delving a lot into studies about trauma, um, but underlying any experience or process related to trauma itself is an understanding of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, this message keeps coming up when we shut down the basic functions of the body to sense and feel itself, 
Um, we shut down emotion. We shut down our ability to process experiences in their totality. Uh, we get stuck in our heads and we don't relate as fully as we could. So I'm not surprised that most men's groups are basically, you know, talking circles. Hmm. Um, but, but I do think the path through it, the path toward being whole beings rather than just whole men, whole beings, is to include all kinds of movement modalities, um, rhythm, music, song, shaking, as you mentioned, all kinds of things. A few episodes ago on the podcast, um, I had my friend Davy Ward on, and she's an incredible Tantra educator. And uh, we were talking about how so many men have been raised with shame about their sexuality and their sensuality and that 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 is traumatizing in of itself and uh, you're you're making me think about this because it goes into the you know how we're looking after our nervous system and this is an area that I'm super passionate about exploring as well it's like our nervous system is constantly receiving information from the world around us and informing us as to whether we are mm. safe or not and then yeah. responding and that rigidity that happens. Cause I, I do think that we live in a society that's fundamentally traumatizing to everybody yeah. and, and it manifests in different ways, depending on the gender that someone's being raised as or experiencing the world as. And uh, there's something about that rigidity cutting off permission for empathy in a lot of young boys and you were talking about that transition that happened for you. Like at some point it became harder to connect with the other guys. And, and I was like, Oh, I wonder if that's that, that kind of rigidity. Cause that's like adolescence and coming into awareness of sexuality. And maybe it's like suddenly the ways that you connect become reserved for sexuality and you can't connect in those same ways in mm -hmm. platonic situations or something. I don't know what the full story might be, but that, the rigidity and the cutting off from empathy and the cutting off from the body's experience. And I hear from a lot of guys that they, um, they are nervous to come to uh, intentional dance events because they are nervous about being seen dancing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I have a, I have a memory, it's super vague, but it's from my childhood. And I remember a couple of us kids, we're moving our hips. I think I ended up moving my hips in a kind of circular fashion. And another kid, oh, such a vague memory, but it stayed with me just enough. You know, they said something about that not being okay. You know, it was, it's too sexual to move that way. Wow. So by the time I was, let's see, later in high school, I joined choir and remember doing a couple of songs that involved dance and it was totally liberating to be told to move my hips. One of our songs was like a seventies piece. Um, so we had to have a lot of hip movement in it to, nice. you know, to, to kind of match the disco style era movement. And it was like some restriction in my nervous system broke away and it was totally freeing to be even, I was even pointed out as an example, like watch David, he's moving his hips. And if I hadn't had that, I don't know what would have happened to my ability to move. But I do have that early memory of being being told it wasn't okay to move my hips in a circle. 
you know, like how, how weird is that? Well, and that makes me think of uh, when Elvis Presley was first uh, becoming famous <laughs> yeah. and they were, he was, it was scandalous because he would shake yeah. his hips and yeah. Uh, yeah. was it the cameramen were told to only film him from the waist up? Um, oh, I don't remember. I didn't hear that. Yeah, that's something I heard. I, I have to double check the reference for that. But yeah, it was so scandalous. They could not show a, a man moving his hips in that way. That would just tear apart the fabric of society, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's the root of all our challenges then. You said that you experienced this being able to get into that disco movement and move your hips as freeing a restriction in your nervous system. Did that then change anything else? Like, did you feel more empowered as a human being? Did you feel more confident in connecting with other people? Were there other changes that came along with that? I've always struggled a bit with social connection and perceiving myself as shy except for when I was on stage. So stage was a pretty liberating place. And then later on, the dance floor became a pretty liberating place. But when it comes to day-to-day social interaction, I don't think I don't think it helped, actually. If anything, it actually took me further down a path away from sort of conventional social interaction. You know, it took me more into my body, away from being a talking head. Mm-hmm. Um down this path where I was rejecting small talk, you know, and that type of connection more and more and more until I realized just how important it is, you know, as the the start of opening the door between any two people or a group of people. So it sounds like you got to experience that liberating feeling in a performance context. Performance context, and then later dance context, and then later partner dance context where I could form connections through movement. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can kind of see this progression where I went deeper into movement-based connection and uh, almost like my social connection ability without movement atrophied a bit there. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to reflect on that. I I can understand that it would be a safe place to go. Like if you're very Mm -hmm. naturally empathetic and you enjoy movement and the the talking and uh, small talk and stuff like that feels foreign, then yeah, moving more into movement makes complete sense. I really love that you're talking about, you know, that, that you went sort of like to an extreme there and that you had to learn the other skills as well. Uh, When I've taught about consent, something I hear again and again, um, and it seems to come more from men, although not exclusively, is I don't want to have to talk about it. It's going to ruin the mood. (laughs) Right. I just want to be able to go with the flow. We can tell if our bodies are feeling good together and stuff like that. Do you have any experience of that? The experience of not wanting to talk about it? Yeah. Or, or, and, and like coming to the other side of like finding the words. Yeah. So, I mean, that message is so pervasive that talk ruins the moods. um, And there's this image of the, you know, hyper suave, masculine um, seducer like uh, James Bond, for example, you know, Um, he says just enough to to get the ladies swooning. Um, And then, you know, in the work I do with the teens, they think the even even the prospect of talking with a potential lover is just mortifying. Um, I've always been the opposite. It's strange. Uh, in social group settings, I've struggled a bit, but in one-on-one more intimate connections, I'm 
totally fine with talking. Um, and if anything, I see the struggle to communicate there as the work of, of both sides. Both people feel, I think, more vulnerable around expressing their desires and expressing, you know, more finely tuned boundaries around whatever they like or dislike. Um, I've, I feel like that has gone both ways. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm so tuned in to another person's physical body and expression that usually usually I know a lot before we actually get to talking. And then talking just helps confirm it. Right. Not everyone has that level of awareness. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was an event that I, I think you might have been there as well. Um there was a guy who kept going up to women on the dance floor and he would do this thing of like dancing behind her and, and shaking his hips at her and, and trying to like get her attention. And the woman would turn her back towards him and he would keep doing what he was doing and not understanding that the body language he was receiving back was a a silent, polite no. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that kind of dynamic play out on the dance floor. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and I actually ended up going over to this guy and saying, Hey, I need to share an observation with you <laughs> and pointing <laughs> out to him what was going on. Yeah. Cause I realized that he actually had no clue because he kept doing it. He kept repeating the same thing and getting the same results. And I'm like, you want to make connection. This is something you need to look at. Yeah. It makes me wonder, you know, has that technique worked for him in the past? And so there was some level of reinforcement for him where maybe he wore someone down just enough or he happened to get lucky and pick someone who was actually into it. And that is what encouraged him to continue. But yeah, I've, I've scratched mm-hmm. my head at seeing that many times. You're a very confident dancer on the dance floor and you can connect effortlessly with people. At least it seems effortless. Um, and I know for me, when I've danced with you, it feels very easy and safe to do so. And I say that in a variety of different contexts. Um, We had that wonderful contact dance improv jam a few weeks ago, which was Mm -hmm. just super amazing. And to just like feel that with everybody who was in that space with us. And do you ever have other men come up to you and ask you like, how do you do that? Huh? Uh, I mean, in this moment, no specific moment comes to mind. Um, but I've definitely encountered that question throughout my, what, 20 or so years as a dance teacher. You know, I've had, I've had, I remember one workshop where one of the participants was really frustrated about an event. You know, he said he'd been dancing around this woman and there seemed to be a chemistry between them. And eventually she stormed off. And his take on that was that he didn't make a move soon enough or confidently enough. And so we role played it and we had people demonstrate the body language that he said he saw from this woman. And then he got to step out of the role play and watch it. And he had this aha moment. He realized she just wasn't interested and he had misinterpreted. Wow. And so at that point, he didn't ask me, well, how do I connect? It was more a matter of how do I enter into connection and then gauge the other person's interest? That's what he was really concerned with. I've definitely had other men off and on throughout the years, you know, ask how I do it or how connection happens. And it's a hard one to to filter down to kind of a nutshell because I'm 
aware of so many aspects of what's happening. Mm-hmm. I usually offer tools about, you know, not approaching from the back where you can't be seen, not approaching directly from the front, coming in in a more gentle angle, which I call orbiting, really gauging the other person's interest by how much they respond to or echo one's movement. Do they make eye contact? Do they look relaxed? You know, there's a whole list of things. I love what you say about orbiting. Like coming in gently makes such a big difference. Mm -hmm. I know that for me, I mean, I I describe myself as an introvert um, to begin with, but when there's someone new in my sphere, whether it's on the dance floor or socially in my local community, I don't like to just dive right into connection. I really like to take my time. I joke that I'm like, I'm like that cat that sits up on a shelf far away and waits until I (laughs) decide that I actually like the humans before coming over for pets. Um, And I, I, and it's definitely a very similar feeling for me on the dance floor. And I, I think that what you're describing there, you're describing more in the context of for men wanting to approach women on the dance floor or someone that they're attracted to on the dance floor, whatever the gender. But um, have you ever seen that approach happen between two men in a platonic context? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was in Oakland a few weeks back and... Um, so walked onto this dance floor, really wanting connection. But the thing I know about that is I have to start with my own experience. So went into my own body, eyes closed, found my, found my breath, found my movement, and then opened my eyes. And there in front of me was a guy just gently looking back at me, just close enough that I knew he was ready to engage. And I felt really comfortable with it. So we spiraled into a beautiful contact dance. Wow. So that was an example of a really a really graceful engagement. And we really met each other at pretty much the exact same level of skill and attunement. As my uh, ability to connect with everyone on the dance floor, you know, increased throughout that morning, another man entered into my space. I'd given him maybe some cue Maybe I'd looked at him. Maybe he liked how I was dancing. And he basically blasted right into my space. He came right at me. You know, it felt like someone was about to attack me. And I just backed right out. Um, And we didn't, he didn't re-engage with me. I think he took that as a, you know, lack of interest. Or really for me, it was just a boundary crossed too fast. So, you know, I experienced the range between those two types of levels of engagement all the time from men and women. I've had women also encroach upon my space too fast, way before I'm ready. And again, I've had to back away, you know, to kind of reclaim my boundaries. I have a a former partner who is um, also an amazing contact improv dancer. And because he's a bigger guy, and he's good at, at holding the space with people he finds he gets that a lot he gets a lot of um, all genders coming to him wanting to dance and often intruding in his space a bit too much and there were times where we would go to events Mm -hmm. together and um he i would just be like i'm not even going to try dancing with you because everyone else is going to be trying to dance with you and he's like yeah it's exhausting (laughs) Uh, it could be tricky to navigate those boundaries that's the double edge of being good at dancing or being good at holding space and you know it can then flip to feeling a little bit crowded or or inundated with attention that can happen to anyone no matter their 
gender, gender expression. And in the the first experience that you shared there with this guy that you did have the really good contact dance with, was this someone that you knew before? Uh, were they a complete stranger? Did you end up having a conversation afterwards? Uh, total stranger. Uh, we did not talk afterwards. I'm trying to remember how that interaction happened. I think we finished the dance. We stood up and looked at each other, you know, hands on shoulders and just said, wow, that was awesome. Like, you're a really good dancer. Um, what's your name? Nice to meet you kind of thing. But then it was back into the the dance. This was an ecstatic style dance. I think the Sunday dance temple in Oakland. Um, if I were spending more time in Oakland, I definitely would have sought him out and just asked, you know, what are you into? What where do you come from? Where do you dance? Let's dance more. You know, I'd be interested to try to foster more of a connection there. Um, but that particular visit, that was it. Do you think contact dance has helped to make more connections with men? I mean, it's a very unique style of movement. It's totally unique. Yeah, it's, I mean, I I love it. You know, I have a really interesting experience to throw out there, which is quite impactful. You know, I was in Oakland visiting a lover and she had another lover down there. She really wanted me to meet. And so we drove two and a half hours out to, to meet him. And um, I was feeling nervous about it. But I knew he danced. So I made a request, which she then passed along to him. Uh, the request was, can, can we show up in silence and have you play music? And can we all just start off by dancing? So he took a one, he took a one step further and when we showed up, he had a note at the front door saying, blindfold David and lead him in. <laughs> so this lover, this lover led me into the living room. Of course, I couldn't see anything, but she saw that he was blindfolded in the middle of the floor waiting. I'm getting goosebumps right now. This is amazing. <laughs> well, th this story is both amazing and sad. So I'll just let you know that now. She led me to him. She put my hand on his arm and I felt this little shock like, oh, oh my God, this is him. Here we go. And we had the most incredible, incredible blindfolded dance. And I didn't know that he was blindfolded. I thought his eyes were open Wow! because part of the dance involved him guiding me around the space to orient me to what was around us. That finished and the blindfolds came off and I felt us begin to shut down around each other the amazing level of connection we felt in the dance did not translate automatically into connecting as people uh socially you know we i looked at him and immediately saw or had a sense of him having some guard up which makes sense like here's here's the meeting of three lovers and he and i were meeting for the first time um you know and i was there to suss him out too mm -hmm. um we spent several hours all at his house and I never got back to that same depth of connection that I felt in the dance. So that's the double edge of dance connection. Mm -hmm. You could go really deep, really fast, but still not necessarily know a person or feel safe in other ways or other forms of connection. And it also sounds like there is, you, you got to experience this very authentic level of connection, but that, that was in the, such a specific context. It doesn't, uh, yes. the translation to the everyday, there's a disconnect because we just live in a society that is disconnected from movement and dance. Like we, 
we we do seem to sort of step into another world when we go into dance spaces. At least that's my experience. Of yeah, it. totally. Yeah, I think that's totally totally good observation that when we those of us who are into movement experience one level of liberation in movement and then when we switch to connecting through talk something shifts it's like a different facet of ourselves mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to figure out how to better unify those two aspects i'm not quite sure if you could like go back and, and re-engineer that experience do you think you would you would change things like maybe not have the blindfolds, maybe have some time for voice connection first before moving into dance together? How would you or would you leave it as it was? I really enjoyed going into things through the dance. From there, it quickly shifted into kind of, you know, hanging out in the living room talking. I think if I were to go back and do it again, I would bring more attention, like verbalize the need to transition from that dance space to a talk space and actually do it as something like a circle, a little bit more ritualized Mm -hmm. uh, to acknowledge, to actually speak to and acknowledge the challenge of transitioning from movement to talking Um, Mm -hmm. and probably invite more movement right away. You know, like now that our blindfolds are off and as we're talking and getting to know each other, can we keep moving? Can we dance again without blindfolds? Um, Mm -hmm. Can we move into a space that involves music or rhythm or touch, take turns massaging each other? I'm not sure. Yeah. And you had talked before about your awareness shifting into more of a trauma-informed perspective. And Mm -hmm. I think about how challenging that situation is. I mean, I, I... I coach people on their their open relationships and their polyamorous relationships. And I think meeting your lover's lover is one of the most challenging things <laughs> yeah, to be faced with. And yeah. there are so many experiences of that metamor relationship going completely sideways that a lot of people end up carrying some guarding Uh, some fears, some resistance. And um, I think it's really interesting, like something that I will guide my my clients to do uh, that I think would lend itself really well to this is to just like check in with your body and notice what you're feeling with it when you're around this person. Because there's a, you know, there's a part of us that like the old story is playing out in our brain because it wants to keep our our self safe. Yeah. And there's a different part, which is the somatic experience of the moment. So like the somatic experience of the moment is I just had a really good dance and I'm feeling this in my body. And then as I transition out of that, I'm noticing the tightness or the anxiety or the fear based on a past experience coming in or the story or whatever. Mm-hmm. So just noticing how that comes alive in the body as it's happening is, I think, really it's a really interesting process to do. Yeah, I've been really moving toward that level of awareness and how I relate to myself and others, for sure. What also is coming up is kind of the the layers of relating. You know, if you look at sitting face-to-face with someone and talking with them in a coffee shop, that's one layer of relating. To be in their physical space, touching and helping hold each other and protect each other from crashing into, you know, the room, like the couch, that's a totally different level of relating. So I think that more distant talk level of relating can bring up a lot of guardedness in people. Mm -hmm. 
it's in that space that we have learned to gauge our level of safety in certain ways. But if we skip to dancing and feel safe there and then shift to talking, the talking is still going to bring up that guardedness. You can't get around it. I look at relationships in four layers. So there's that that surface layer, the awareness, which is the talking, which I think is an important piece of it. We need to do that to suss out who do we have common values with? Um, mm-hmm. Who are we going to get along with? Do we have interest to explore more connection? And then there's mm-hmm. the next layer under that is about safety. You know, the more we have awareness of somebody, the safer we're going to feel with them. And then we mm-hmm. can do things like have little moments of connection, maybe do a little bit of contact dance, you know, where our bodies are actually connecting and holding each other in safety. But then repeated experiences of safety can move into intimacy. And intimacy, I would say, is the kind of dance that you both had, where that's like a very deep space of trust of, you know, you're blindfolded, you don't know this person, but you are completely trusting the experience and trusting your shared lover to help support that experience. Intimacy is where, you know, people will start to explore in romantic relationships, you know, being more sexual with each other, letting down their guard even more. And then repeated experiences of intimacy is what allows us to move into relationship. And I think that there's a a level of unfamiliarity of being in a space of intimacy of men between men when it's a completely platonic, um, you know, it's not, it's not meant to be a sexually charged environment. So what does like non-sexual intimacy feel like? Yeah. And have we, practice that enough in our lives to get there easily or or not probably not (laughs) (laughs) you know like if i think back to breaking that chain all the way back in high school you know have i practiced it enough to drop into that space with someone new in a pretty charged situation that easily or that quickly i don't think so you've said a few times uh in our conversation so far uh you've mentioned about how connection starts with your own experience and Mm -hmm. uh, tuning into what's going on for yourself. How does somebody do that? That's kind of the biggest question on my mind at the moment, because (laughs) (laughs) even though, even though I'm quite body aware, I'm realizing there are still many blind spots in my body and nervous system where I, I think I could come to deeper layers of sensing so I guess the first the first level is just to acknowledge that we have bodies with senses and emotions uh, and that it's worth tuning into them. Mm-hmm. We live in a society that tells us it's not worth tuning into them or that we shouldn't feel what we feel. So acknowledgement is key. Then, then the next step is to acknowledge what's there, to feel what we can feel, whether that's my, you know, bum on these cushions or the headphones touching my head or any sensation at all is worth tuning into to build that practice. I think a lot of people who are in the work of trauma education would just call that mindfulness. That's one approach. I don't know if that's quite the right word because it brings too much focus to the mind versus the whole body-mind system. So body-mind awareness, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the next layer I'm finding is really slippery because our nervous system calibrates to its sense of safety in the world. And if a traumatizing experience happens and the nervous system relates it to something like a person's green eyes, then green eyes are going to trigger a bit of a response that will make us feel one way and not another. 
And so there's a process of recalibration needed to tune to what's actually safe or not and to undo some of what has happened. See, this is still new thought for me. Um, in some cases, we numb ourselves to situations or uh, sensations that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We dissociate in really intense cases of trauma. So that's a process I'm not really clear on yet. I don't know how to get to those deeper layers of sensation other than by passing through what we already can tune into and feel. And I think that there is definitely layers of disassociation that come up for men Mm -hmm. when it comes to connecting with other men. Mm. Yeah, I know for many years I felt like most men were a threat. Yeah. And so if something in my past experience taught me that men are a threat, then my body is going to have a really skewed selection of sensations around men in general. But that's the first layer to pass through. It's to tune into those sensations and then to gradually work to rewire back toward a sense of safety to recognize that most men aren't a threat. I've really been noticing this in some interactions recently. I was in a conversation and I I, mean, I love observing people and I always find it's interesting in a group setting to observe how people respond to um, different sort of demographics in the space. Like are people listening more to the youngsters or more to the elders? Are people listening more to men or to the non-binary people or to the women? Like where does the attention go. And I was in a a small interaction where there were two masculine folks and two feminine folks, myself included. And one of the guys was sharing some very vulnerable personal things. And he was making eye contact with me and he was making eye contact with the other woman there. And he made zero eye contact with the other man. And it was actually very interesting. He turned as if to look at the other man, but did something that in theater we would call cheating. Like, like turning his face, but not actually looking at the person, kind of looking over the person's mm. shoulder a bit and not making eye contact mm-hmm. with the other guy. And I, I yeah. was like, that is fascinating. And I don't think that this is something he was even conscious of. And mm-hmm. uh, the other man in the conversation as someone I'm friends with, and I asked him about it later, I was like, did you notice that he didn't make eye contact with you? And the response was, I didn't notice it as anything out of the ordinary because that's just what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a problem with me. And I'm like, no, I think I think this is a bigger thing. Yeah, that kind of relates to some of the reading I've been doing. We're in a situation where we, you know, the nervous system senses that we are at risk. The first layer of response will be towards social connection to seek support from others. Mm. So, you know, and our, our entire nervous systems are really based around being social. We, we develop our higher thinking capacities by being in connection with other humans. But when support is not available, we move to the next layer, which is the, the fight or flight response. And when that's not possible, let's say someone is restrained for whatever reason, then they move to the last layer, which is to dissociate. And I see this in the teens I work with all the time. I walk into a group of 30 boys, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, and I see some of them are really social with me and with each other. Some of them are there to either try to escape or fight me, fight or flight. And some have completely disconnected. Mm -hmm. They say they don't care about anything. They don't respond with either enthusiasm or repulsion really it's just total apathy and i think this plays out in all of us to some degree until we bring awareness to it and come back again to that place of 
social connection. What do you think we can do to make it safer for men to find social connection with one another? Well, they need, we need um, practice, practice being in safe settings with other men, mm. practice connecting. And connecting that isn't just talk-based where for whatever reason, a lot of us, you know, shut down some of our experience or physical experience, but practice in settings that are movement-based, rhythm-based, mm. music and song-based. Uh, there's a great, I'm paraphrasing a great quotation from this book I've been reading called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. And it said something about how he realized it would probably better serve a group of people working through their trauma to tap on their chairs rhythmically than to sit on those chairs and talk about their trauma. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> and that's all about coming into attunement with other members of the so-called tribe. Since we are so relational, to feel safe, we need to feel like we are seen, heard, and accepted by the tribe, which you know is comprised of the people who are around us. So mm -hmm. we need to practice being safely inside those situations, mm. which has got me thinking because the teens I work with are put into a room with 29 other teen boys. That is the least safe place I can imagine for them to be, at least at the start of a workshop. You know, it's my job to somehow foster a sense of safety. So I'm thinking about ways to actually change it from a talk-based approach to something more physical so we can get more directly at their nervous systems instead of staying stuck up in the, the thinking brain. Yeah. And that, you know, there's historically... I think men were more active, more in their bodies. I, I don't know if that's just my own story about it, but, you know, the the warrior, the archetypes of the warrior, the archetypes of the, the hunter-gatherer, like the there's a lot more movement-based stuff in, in our history. As human beings, we are much more physically stagnant today than we ever have been at any other point in history. And I I definitely see a correlation between... Our, our physical stagnation, like the the cult of individualism and the epidemic of mental health crisis that's been happening increasingly in the last few years. And that's like for all all genders. But I love this idea yeah. of getting just just getting people into their bodies. I mean, I see it when people come into the dance floor, the amount of healing that happens, the amount of healing I've felt. And then what I see happening in other people is tremendous. But it takes a lot for people to get as far as going onto the dance floor. So... Yeah, how do you get people ready to do that? <laughs> yeah, difficult. <laughs> and and people could still end up on the dance floor acting out a lot of the same patterns that aren't necessarily helping them improve at life. Like, you know, like the fellow you were talking about who kept dancing up behind women. He's stuck. He's stuck in a pattern and I would say probably needs some help from, you know, again, the community to be seen, to be, you know, told that that kind of behavior is not accepted, but he is welcome, you know, to be included in the group as a whole, rather than left alone as an individual trying his hardest to form some kind of connection. I learned a lot from that experience with that guy, because I think that at the time, my instinct was very much in that space of this guy's not being consensual, we should throw him out, like wanting to be in that mode of banishment. 
And I don't know what it was, but something in me softened and was like, what is he actually doing here? Yeah. He's not trying to make people uncomfortable. What he's trying to do is find connection. Yeah. And suddenly my whole body softened in in understanding him and how to interact with him. And, and I, I still got a bit of pushback from him because I don't think he was like <laughs> expecting any feedback and granted mm-hmm. it was unsolicited feedback. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a kind of disassociation that I think happens where people are not realizing that they're overcompensating for something. Like I can, I can see how his lack of feeling connection like he was, it's almost like he's so hungry for it. He didn't care how he got it. Right. And was just like sort of pushing through to try and get connection. And I, I think that there's a lot of men that are, that feel that experience that like have been very starved of connection and want to push through. And I'm always asking myself, like, how do we create spaces where we can help men understand like how to let go of that, the, the sort of, um, attachment to the strategy that they've employed that's maybe sometimes successful and actually help them to drop down into that connection with themselves first of all Mm -hmm. which is a difficult proposition if someone's nervous system you know has adjusted to all the traumas that society creates then it's actually hard to feel oneself fully yeah. I just posted a, a word that I learned from this book on Facebook to see what people would say about it. Alexithymia is uh, the inability or difficulty in uh, recognizing and naming one's own feelings. Oh, wow. And I've been noticing this intuitively already after a consent workshop I participated in the summer. Uh, when I ask someone how they're feeling, often they'll tell a story about what's going on in their lives, but they won't actually use emotion words or feeling words. Uh, so this is a mm-hmm. pretty widespread phenomenon. And I think a lot of us, to some degree, are experiencing a version of this in ourselves, unless we've done a lot of deep work to be able to tune into our inner state. Mm-hmm. Alexithymia. <laughs> Such a great word. <laughs> <laughs> What kinds of connections do you seek to have with other men? Um, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to feel like I have, you know, a best friend. I love to feel like I have a few good friends, and that doesn't have to look a specific way. It's just that we're comfortable enough with each other to say, "Hey, let's hang out tomorrow." And when we get together, to have the enough inner attunement. And attunement with each other to say, hey, what do you want to do? You want to go for a walk or make a meal or watch a movie, whatever that happens to be, and to be comfortable with that, you know, and to have to trust that this best friend or these good friends will show up or reach out when there's trouble or if I'm, I mean, the other, what was it now, about a month or month and a half ago, I, my back went out and I needed my roommate's help to get out of bed and he gladly helped and it felt quite vulnerable. But, you know, I'd love to feel that mm-hmm. from a few more men in my life, that they'd be willing to show up in moments of extreme vulnerability and need. The actual form of connection doesn't, I don't think, matters quite so much. It doesn't have to look a certain way. And how could the people in your life who are not men support you in getting to those spaces of connection, if at all. With other men? <laughs> yeah. Be matchmakers? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, women have tried. Women have said, you know, hey, this guy is so awesome. I think you two get along. And 
there's just so much work to do to get to that place where we can relax. I, I've been also reflecting that the city makes it really difficult mm. for us to connect. So a lot of people have been feeling that. I've been posting some excerpts from this book on Instagram and someone who I'm guessing is in India was saying, yeah, being in the city feels really alienating. Mm. And I know when I lived on the Sunshine Coast in Half Moon Bay for a time and then Roberts Creek, the male friendships that I was forming at that time are still alive. And if I were living there, we'd be hanging out every week. So there's more to it than just our own independent ability to connect or not. It also has to do with our surroundings mm. and our schedules in those surroundings. So it's not just an individual issue. It's a societal issue. It's a oh, definitely, yeah. community construct. Yeah. I've been drawing a picture of fish and water for the teens and then pointing at the water and saying, what does this have to do with us? And they say, it's the water. It has the oxygen that we need to live. Like, okay, yeah, that's a piece of it. But the other question is, what does a fish ever say about water? Does a fish ever think about water? Or is it just completely accustomed to the presence of water and so never gives it a second thought? That's that's what you and I are discussing right now. All of the invisible forces that shape how we relate and that actually block us from relating. So I think we have to look at things both at the individual and interpersonal level and system-wide level. Beautiful. It can, it can feel a little a little challenging to, to look at things in that perspective, you know, because I end up asking myself, how can I change things on that wide a scale so that I feel more comfortable in society, but I'm still going to keep asking the questions and making my small, continuing my small efforts to change things. Well, I think you do make a difference. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> is there anything else you want to add that we haven't talked about? There's, I mean, there's so much. This is a huge, huge, huge topic. It's kind of a thought experiment. I'll throw a thought experiment out there that just has to do with the word masculinity and femininity. Because I mm -hmm. see, I see those who have the capacity to use those words and actually work well with them, and those who kind of slip down the slippery slope from masculine, you know, masculine energy to male gender. Mm -hmm. And it would be to replace those words with two completely different made up words. And then to define them based on the qualities that they include. And that's a, that's a way of disconnecting them from the, the way they seem to always relate back to gender. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for men because we have a really skewed idea of what it means to be masculine. But if we came up with a totally random word like, I don't know, grokin, I don't know. <laughs> What does it mean to be more balanced grokin? Then we can say, oh, well, that means these things. And any person can embody those. Mm -hmm. Then we start to disentangle from old, tired, damaging uh, gender stereotypes. I love that. That's awesome. I think, yeah, I think, I think there's a bit of reprogramming in the language we use uh, to help, help us through this. That's just one of the many layers. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. David, you are a delight. Thank you so, so much. You have so much to share on this. It's it's beautiful. I really appreciate all the work that you 
that you do and that you have done. I think it really comes through in how you speak about your experience, that you have that level of self-awareness and, and the fact that you stay humble about it, that you keep this approach of inquiry going. I, that's mm. incredible. And I, I can see that reflected in how you dance and, and your ability to listen in to what another person's body is telling you and the energy that they're coming into the dance with. And I, I think that maybe there's something that you're teaching people just through being. Mm. Thanks for that. Yeah. The Masculinity Podcast is made possible by the support of people like you please visit my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash masculinity, M-A-S-C-U-L-I-N-I-T-E-A. Your support means the world to me. And all people who support this podcast get to join our exclusive Facebook group where the conversation continues. Join us next time for more conversations about men, masculinity, and our relationships to them. In the meantime, if you have ideas, questions, or things you'd like me to talk about, give me a shout. Melina at RadicalRelationshipCoaching.ca